Welcome to Telltale, the podcast where marketers can learn from interviews with fantastic storytellers. Welcome to episode 13 of the Telltale Podcast. I'm your host, Kurt Sanders, and with me every week is Brittany Dreghorn, fresh from a trip up north, Brittany. Yes, and I'm feeling refreshed. Feeling refreshed? That's I may not great. look it. <laughs> oh, good, good. Just, just for people playing at home, Brittany is from Mackay, and we do not hold that against her one bit. <laughs> Maybe a tiny bit. Maybe a tiny bit. Plenty of going on in Mackay, though. But... More exciting today, we have us have with us William Stubbs, the co-founder of Brisbane Social Enterprise Spur Projects. Will, welcome to the Telltale Podcast. I am beyond pumped to be here, guys. Oh wow, <laughs> me too. That's I mean that sincerely. I know it sounds sarcastic, and I'm sincere. Yes. That's excellent. Good. I'm beyond pumped to be here every week. It's fantastic. But will tell us a little bit more about Spur Projects and Spur Labs, and what's going on there. What do you guys do? Sure. So the brief uh, story summarizing about six years of work uh, is that Spur Projects is a grassroots mental health uh, organization. We started here in Brisbane about uh, in 2011. And the goal of Spur Projects is to eliminate male suicide in Australia. So not many people are aware that if you're a man aged 14 to 44 in Australia, the number one cause of death for you is yourself. It's suicide. So when we heard that in 2011, we realized that's um, pretty fucked up. So we thought we would, I can swear on this podcast. Go well, you have already. I mean, I mean, we could always beep it out. <laughs> I'm in good company, I think, for that. Um, and so we, as a bunch of young guys, uh, decided to, to try and do something about that. We created a campaign called Soften the Fuck Up. And it was uh, targeted specifically at younger men and challenging the stereotype of masculinity around being stoic and getting, uh, you know, dealing with your problems without talking to anybody, which we felt was leading to this high rate of male suicide. Um, when men suicide, there's about six suicides every day that are men and about three to four that are women. Um, so there's obviously a problem there around the culture of, of masculinity. Uh, since then, we've produced uh, a bunch of different campaigns and projects. We've developed our own internal methodology for how to design a social change campaign. Uh, and, oh, man, we've, we've uh, had our campaigns in about 105 countries. We've reached, we tallied about 40 million people uh, in nine different languages. Uh, we have become Telstra Foundation ambassadors, top young social entrepreneurs, and um, hopefully made some sort of difference. Um, but the news uh, just recently is we've launched a new company, uh, which is Spur Project's little sister uh, called Spur Labs. And tell us a bit more about that, because, you know, you, like you don't have enough going on in your life. Yes, try, try and stop me talking about <laughs> yeah. that. Um, so Spur Labs is really, really exciting. It's one of the, one of the really exciting things we're doing this year, um, alongside another big campaign with Spur Project, which I'll, I'll spruik in a second. Uh, but we realized about probably five years into doing spare projects that we were uh, kind of hitting the limit with our capacity. Um, we were stealing annual leave hours wherever we could to go and talk at conferences or um, meet with, say, a law firm in order to get a pro bono agreement. Um, we you know, had three days in Sydney mentoring for uh, Telstra Imaginarium, and, and that was you know a big plea from our employers to let us go and do that. So we realized that we needed to find a way to do this full time. Uh, but the problem is that we are very edgy. So as you can tell, we use quite strong language in our campaigns intentionally. Uh, we do things that nobody else has done before. Like uh, last year we launched How Is The World Feeling, which was a, 
uh, international smartphone data research project, uh, tracking the mood of participants for an entire week. It's never been done before. We had about 11,000 people doing that. And so when you approach uh, possible grant funding, particularly it's from the government or a large corporate, we are considered a little bit edgy uh, and out there. So it's not a, not a good bet generally to, to give us grant money. If it works, we, we tend to see similar things happening a bit after. But um, so the solutions seem to be uh, look at a different model. What, what can you do around a social enterprise or what we're particularly fond of as a profit for purpose? which is what can you provide to a market and, and sell and then use those funds to do the work that you really care about. Um, so how it essentially works is Spur Labs is its own entity. It's partly owned by Spur Projects and 5% at least of the profits of Spur Labs goes directly into Spur Projects. The work that Spur Labs does is taking everything that we've learned about how to make an impact on social impact issues, uh, to create social change and do that for clients, whether they're corporate, government or non-profits. Right. That's incredible. So you've actually created a way to fund this project, which... Fingers crossed, yeah. That's the idea. I mean, we just launched it. Um, <laughs> that is absolutely the idea, though. I think that it's it's funny for us that, or it's funny for me that um, we typically do things. We 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 tend to look at how things have been done and go, now we'll do the complete opposite of that. And so the best way I can explain it is that most companies will uh, start up, they'll become successful, and then say like Atlassian or a flight center, they go, hey, we should do some good. And so they create a foundation that's off to the side of that for-profit company. Where we've kind of done the opposite. So we've created a successful uh, DGR charity. We're, we're fully recognized as a charity. Went, oh, we need to figure out some way to fund that and created a um, for-profit company off the side of that, which then funds the non-profit work. So I can't actually find an example of that being done that way before. Uh, so yeah, the idea is that it will fund the nonprofit work. It could crash and burn, and who knows. The great thing about the uh, organisation that you've now created is that it's also doing good. In fact, it's helping yep. other companies to do good, like Spur Projects is. Mm -hmm. Can you tell a little bit, our listeners, a little bit about uh, what Spur Labs will sure. do? So one of the things that uh, my co-founder Lee Crockford and I are particularly passionate about, it, and ultimately we, we talked about. How could we fund uh, spare projects, but also do the stuff that A, we're good at, and B, we love doing. So we didn't want to sell um, you know, t-shirts or um, you know, keychains or whatever. We want to do something that had an actual impact. So part of the DNA of Spur Labs is that we do uh, campaign design and management for social impact causes. We design technological solutions that do good. Uh, we mentor other organizations that want to have social impact. But everything we do has to have some positive net worth to the world. So if an uh, oil company says, uh, hey, Spur Labs, rebrand us to make us look good, we'd say, no, probably not. If they said, um, rebrand us and make us look good and help us to do good, we'd say, yeah, absolutely. Um, somebody approached us recently and was asking about um, recruiting uh, students and getting them to go into a particular field. So the question for us is, well, is that a social impact cause? And can we use that to do some good? So it might be looking at what sort of profession that is. Is there uh, not enough people in that area in Australia? And at the same time in that campaign, how can you highlight the work that they do and connect them maybe as a community to do more impactful work? Sure. Let's, um, let's talk a little bit about the voice and tone and the why behind 
mm. what you do in, you know, from a campaign level. So a lot of our listeners are PR people or marketing people, and you, you mentioned before that you do have quite an edgy tone. Mm. Um, take us through the why of that. Yeah. I think we just rabble raisers mostly. Um, I, I think when, when we started, you know, we were... A couple of of, um, of young guys in Brisbane, um, we wanted to do something, but we realized that when you look at the material, especially back then, it's, it's changed since then, and I, and I don't want to claim credit for that, but a, a little bit, uh, maybe, if I can get away with it. When you looked at the pamphlets or the information that was available in Dr. Surgery's Own Depression, it was universally, almost universally, black and white. There was a man sitting at the edge of his bed with his head in his hands and it said depression across the top of it. Question mark. <laughs> Are you depressed? Are you depressed? Does this make you more depressed? Sure. Uh, and, and we realised that that's not the sort of stuff that we'd want to see if we were depressed. Um, and to myself, you know, the, the, the kind of the, the, the um, heart tie for me in this whole thing is when I was 12, I, I was suicidal. Um, I was depressed throughout my teenage years, and I, I came out of that um, into what I would describe as a remission from depression. So I haven't experienced that in, in over a decade. Um, but I know that back then, I, I just wouldn't um, connect with that messaging, that black and white tone and, and very clinical approach. So from the very get-go, we were quite conscious that language uh, is extremely important in the work that we do. And we wanted to reach people uh, in a way that nobody else had tried before. And that included uh, using some strong language. So a, a very first campaign, for instance, whenever I explain, or I, when I, I, I name that project to an Australian, it doesn't quite translate overseas, I found, but when you say it to an Australian, there's this look on their face where they're first shocked, then they kind of soften and go, ah, yeah. And the beauty of that campaign is that soften the fuck up says to you in those short amount of words exactly everything you need to know. Uh, it's a call to action, it's an instruction, and it's, it's um, attention-grabbing. It, it's nothing you've heard before. And when we did that, we realised quickly with, with the, the following we gained online of people who were very supportive of our work, people who told us that it saved their life, that from then on, that set the tone for us. So everything we do has to be bold, um, it has to be beautiful, it has to have impact. We don't ever want to do something that isn't um, pushing the envelope. Sure. One, one question that comes to mind for me, and I, I'm completely in support of talking about taking your own life or people who take their own lives um, and, and pushing that into the public, uh, into the public perception and sphere of that suicide isn't a crime kind mm. of thing, you know. So I have a journalistic background and, mm. you know, we were taught in, in mm. ethics classes and all these things, you know, you can't report <coughs> suicide because you can measure the fact that, yeah. you know, once you do report it, you can actually measure how many people do that yep. afterwards. And then yeah. even worse, if you report methods, you can measure yep. that, right? So how do you guys go about balancing that? Yeah. Uh, so a couple of things to, to unpack there. Um, there is such a thing as, as suicidal contagion, uh, where if you have a suicide in a community um, or talk about suicide occurs, that you will have people who will, who will kind of suicide as a result. And it is considered as like a, a spreading contagion in a weird way. Couple of things though, it, it, suicide is um, suicide, suicide is a behaviour. Depression is a disease, and if you consider that that depression is a disease, much like cancer, but suicide is a behaviour, then you can start to think about it quite differently. Just because I say um, 
the word suicide, it's not going to implant in your brain the desire to kill yourself. It just doesn't work like that. If you do have people that are suffering a tough time and, and are depressed uh, or have um, suicide ideation thoughts, then yes, it may promote that, which is where we tend to stick clear of talking directly about suicide and more about tough times, um, going through something difficult, um, feeling lousy, etc. We, we also, um, the, the media is interesting in that uh, when people talk about suicide, particularly in the media, they say things like commit suicide. For us, that's a real big no-no. Sure. It's not a crime, as you pointed out. It hasn't been in decades. And it's kind of the same as saying you might commit cancer. It just doesn't, no, nobody chooses to have depression. Nobody chooses to suicide. I do think it's, it's tricky. Um, one thing that we, um, over time, realized that we needed specific training on this. So we've, we've been trained in that sort of language. Uh, one of our co-founders is a mental health researcher for men specifically, um, and he kind of keeps us in line and makes sure our crazy ideas don't get too batshit up crazy. I think if you look at society, it, it tends to tackle one major health crisis at a time. And that was AIDS. Uh, it then shifted into cancer. And now, if you swing a cat, you hit 20 different campaigns around mental health. And I think that happens because the stigma starts to reduce and we start to have new ways of reporting. So when there is a suicide uh, in the public eye, particularly um, somebody that already knows, they tend to say, kind of dance around the issue. What that says to somebody is that this is still a taboo that this is something you can't speak up about and even if you're a public figure and you take your own life because you were that unwell that we still don't want to talk about it to me that is sending a very strong message to people that it is still something shameful it's still something taboo and the media won't even talk about it i definitely recommend or i definitely would say we shouldn't talk about methods um, and that's one thing for myself i talk about being suicidal when i was 12 but i never talk about um, what I was planning to do. Um, I think that's a very big distinction to make. Uh, well, I have a question kind of building on that. So what do you think about, obviously, the youth now being really uh, separated because of social media mm. and then you using that as a method to communicate your projects to them? Um, is, it, is social media the issue or has there always been an issue and this is adding to yeah. it? And can you use that to communicate with them or yeah. should we be telling them to get off there? Uh, wow, okay. Uh, let me solve all of humanity in <laughs> one question. Go! Um, <laughs> let me just crack my knuckles. Um, a couple, oh yeah, I mean, wow. So uh, a few months ago, my, my granddad, who's 95, uh, was moving to a new home and he was going from the Gold Coast to the Sunshine Coast. So I uh, went and helped the family pack up his stuff. Um, I got in the car with him and my job was to drive him you know, four hours to his new place. And it was a great chance to kind of talk to him, uh, get his opinion on things while, you know, I could play rap music and he would have a nap sort of thing, which I thought was hilarious. I remember uh, the Instagram story. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it, it was interesting. I asked him, um, do you think that mental health was just as big an issue when he was my age as it is now? And without hesitation, he said, yes. It's just that back then we would say, oh, Tony fell off a horse even if he didn't have any horses. So I, th I think it's always been a problem. Um, you look at ancient um, literature, it's, it's depression and suicide has always been something that we've dealt with as a, as a people. I think it is um, a lot harder now in that rates have increased and things have become harder to deal with because of the world that we live in. Um, people 
generally aren't as happy as they could be. I think social media plays a huge part in that. It's no surprise that uh, Instagram and Facebook both have new tools where they can identify people who are depressed or anxious and they can try and intervene with them. Um, personally, I was asked actually just last week uh, at a conference I spoke at about the irony of using digital media, which is our main tool, uh, and social media to speak to people who are depressed or anxious. And I thought that was a really good question, which I hadn't actually been asked before. Um, and it kind of took me aback, but when I thought about it, the best way I can explain it is that if you uh, could magically make an alcoholic's wine bottle talk to them, wouldn't that be a really handy thing to do? And I think essentially that's what we're trying to do. Um, and bearing in mind that a lot of your listeners are agency and PR and, and marketing and stuff, um, when you think about designing a website, you want people to stay on there as long as possible, right? Or if, if they're scrolling through a news feed on Facebook or whatever, you want to stop their thumb for a second, kind of lift off the screen and they look at the thing and go, oh yeah, and tap that. That's the same thing that we're trying to do, but a little bit different in that we want to grab their attention, give them a message and an action, and then get them to go do that rather than spending time on a website and looking at things and maybe buying something. So it's similar fundamentals, but a different end outcome that we're looking for. I think that's a fantastic response. <laughs> You're Thanks. off the hook. Oof. And also on that, uh, finding ways to add value and mm. not disrupt them. So, you know, if mm. you're stopping them, you're lucky because they usually don't stop. You know, once you're scrolling, you're yeah. scrolling past a lot of those ads. So if you can get them to stop with some kind of quality content that really resonates with them, you've got yeah. their attention. It's probably better than trying to put something up outside on a billboard. Or Can I give you a, an got. example and spruik one of our projects at the same time? Please, please <laughs> tell us. That's, that was my next question. Go for it. So our, our main flagship project for Spare Projects this year uh, is called Hashtag Old Mate. Um, and it's, I think, some of our best work so far. Uh, and it's looking at the fact that the age group with the highest rate of suicide in the country is men aged 80 plus. Uh, and it's something that we don't typically talk about very much. And we talk about that big statistic that suicide is number one killer of men aged 14 to 44. If you look at that, that data and you remove the natural causes of death, suicide continues to be a huge problem. And after 80, it spikes rapidly. There's a bunch of reasons for that. Um, loss of health. Uh, they typically have um, loss of connection because they're not uh, married typically. They're widowed or they don't have many friends. Uh, loss of mobility, loss of privilege, and it goes on. When we looked at that, we realized that the big one that we could tackle would be loss of connection. So Old Mate is a campaign that runs for 12 months, which for us is a huge undertaking. It's the longest running uh, active campaign uh, we'll probably do. And it asks for 100,000 Australians to pledge one hour a month to spend time with an old mate in their life. And it could be, say, I would uh, have my granddad as my old mate, or we could connect you with somebody in an old folks home who doesn't have anybody. And then each month, uh, we'll be giving you an activity to do via email, and that will include, say, uh, chess this month, and we'll give you a chess board you can print out if you don't have one, or it could be old mate dinner date, where you take them out for dinner, and we might arrange a discount with a chain of restaurants. In order to promote that, social media becomes really, really handy. And I think it, there is a, a double edge in that, yes, it has caused a lot of ills in our world. Um, social media is an addictive substance, but it's a very effective tool your community at the same time. So say if you have that old mate and his younger friend going out to dinner, they would only get a discount on their meal if they had take a selfie, post it to social media and hashtag old mate. 
which then helps the message to spread, the uh, movement to spread, and more people get involved, which then means that more old mates get connection, and hopefully we can lower the suicide rate. So I, I do think social media is an incredibly effective tool, um, and it, it is odd sometimes to be using that when it itself has caused problems, but it's that case of trying to harness that, grab the attention, and use it for good in some way, which is, which is essentially what... Um, the crux of Spell Lab actually is designed to do. Yeah. That's really, sorry. You go. That's really interesting. I just want to quickly say how, what you're saying there about how they have to take a photo on hashtag old mate. That sounds like a really good way to get your message out, but it's interesting because a lot of marketers really screw that up. You know, they, <laughs> like what you have said there of sharing that photo of yourself on there and using a brand. Mm. Now that's a brand they want to connect with, so mm. I get it. But a lot of them say, you know, it's a competition or something, or to get the discount, you've got to post their photo onto your page and mm. do all of this and people like their social pages to be well curated mm. and like if I, I had a message for any marketer it would be to really think about the way that they do that mm. and not just say post our content on your page because mm. no one wants to do it and if they're doing it it's just to get the free thing and they're not connecting with your brand not saying that what you no, no, no. Like that. <laughs> I'm writing really notes good. down furiously it's just, uh, it's just I think that's that's really interesting for us then in the sense that um, if it was a client that we we're working for then it's very different in that when we do a non-profit a spur project project we don't have content that we're pushing our, our content has changed um, mm. that's a really good soundbite by the way make sure you grab that one <laughs> um, for us it, we, we don't have we don't want them to repost a old mate logo that's useless to us we want them to show that they are having that connection that they're spending that time with an old mate and the hashtag is then just a tool to have a, to um, collate all that and to spread that movement exactly. so they can see what it's about but it does mean that the way that we approach it is is quite different and i think it's um it's unique in the work that we're doing um it uses the same tools and it uses the same methodologies just for a very different outcome yeah, the thing I probably like about it the most is the fact that it's not a, a disruptive or an interrupting medium, mm. you know what I mean? So you're, you've you've inspired people to go and make these connections. You're not mm. throwing the connection at them. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, and like, to be honest, that's one of the biggest lessons marketers can learn now is mm. stop interrupting people <laughs> and just become emotionally part of their day. Yep. And, and yeah, to yeah. me, that's, that's one of the strongest parts. We are running out of time. I wanted to ask one more question before we get to the little white lie, right. and that is your new project, um, Spur Labs. Yeah. You've just uh, recruited uh, a bit of a legend in the world, <laughs> Russ Vine, formerly yeah, of Ogilvy. How yeah, yeah. is it having such an incredible network in mind <sighs> helping you out? Um, if he listens to this, uh, get back to work, Russ. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, look, it, we, so we had the idea for Spell Labs brewing for a while, and there, there was a bunch of things that we both said to, to Lee and I were, were talking about this, and we're like, we really want to do this, but there's always that thing of when. And we probably kept putting it off a bit longer than, than we should have. And it's that juggling actor. We had projects to do. We had work to do. We had this company to launch. How do you do all that? And Russ and I met um, months uh, before Spell Labs became a thing. And he, he commented that he was a fan of our work. And for us, he's almost twice our age or more, probably. Hey, Russ. Uh, you're old, Russ. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know you, but you're old. Um, it's like having a granddad around. He's actually our old mate, really. Um, and for us, that was, that was a huge compliment. 
Um, and we didn't really know what to do with that, that information other than have really big heads. And uh, it was later on that uh, when Spurlabs was becoming a real thing, we are putting work into launching it, uh, Russ and I caught up again. He was looking for something new. And as he said, it was actually a really kind of schmaltzy way to put it, but he said he wanted an opportunity to feed his soul again. And, and I, I do wonder how many people in, in the marketing and media world do maybe feel that way as well. And for us, it was, it was an easy decision to make. And once we kind of got, got past the fact that, you know, he made us feel like little kids, um, that having somebody with his experience, uh, he's worked on some amazing campaigns here in Australia, particularly in Queensland, uh, to combine that experience with our experience. When we did the, the kind of the, the, um, the company brief sort of thing and weighed up the numbers and looked at kind of how that would work, uh, it just felt more and more right when we were doing it. So. It's, it's amazing to have him on board um, and to have him with the level of, of commercial experience for these sort of things. Uh, it, it's, it's awesome. It, it's, it's, we're actually we're quite lucky to, to have it. Um, I'm just not sure when I can convince him to wear a t-shirt rather than a suit. <laughs> or if I want to, actually. Tell him that t-shirts feed your soul in a much better way. <laughs> yeah. But that is a fantastic one-liner. A way to feed the soul again. Yeah, that, that, I that, think that, that was when I was like sold on it. Yeah. Feels like spur projects and spur labs in um, in one sentence, to be honest. Yeah. So, yeah. All right, we are dead out of time, except for the fact we need to hear your little white lie, one of the best clangers you've ever told. Ah, oh, professionally? Oh, mate, it can be anything. Oh, anything. um. Uh, doesn't have uh, to be. Doesn't have to be lying. The the uh, I I was once. Uh, it's not so much a white lie, but I, I was once uh, working uh, as, a, as a product manager in, in a software company. This is many, many years ago, and uh, I was trying to get Greenpeace over the line uh, for a big enterprise system, so they would adopt our, our software to use. And at the time, in, in the news, it was talking a lot about DC centers um, using renewable energy. And Amazon, which was the service provider we used, uh, was the only one that uh, was still using coal energy. And so Greenpeace obviously were you know, not okay with using Amazon. And they asked, like, what's, what's, you know, what DC do you use? And we said Amazon, and, and well, we can't use you guys because the energy thing. I was like, no, no, I've, I've, I've talked to them, and I'm sure they're, they're cool to, to fix that. And, like, fix that. I mean, they're, they're you know, a global company that just <laughs> I apparently have convinced them to switch to renewable energy worldwide. Hello, is this Amazon? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Do you know who it's I me, am? me, William Stubbs. <laughs> <laughs> Flick that switch, will you? Yes. Hello? Hello? <laughs> uh, and so they, of course, went, yeah, okay, well, like, well, let's come back to them and show us the, the proof of that. And so I had to go to Amazon. And I was like, um, yeah, do you still using coal energy? You are? Okay. Oh, so I didn't win that 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 work, uh, but I was just in Berlin, and I visited Amazon as part of a, a tour that had been set up with delegation to the summit, and we had this presentation from them, and they said any questions. I immediately put my hand up and I said I've got a bone to pick with you. And I asked them about the energy thing, and they had actually since fixed it, but. I still remember that actually as, as something I tried to get away with. So a white lie that didn't quite get across the line. It was That's a very a game changer. That's interesting. Most people will get away with them. Yeah. So I, I find that I'm terrible uh, at lying, even to the point when I do it just doesn't work. So That's alright. You failed fast. <laughs> which is what it's all about. Will Stubbs, thanks so much for being on the Telltale Podcast. Thanks so much, guys. No You're worries awesome. at all. Britt, every week, thanks for coming along. And remember, guys, tell your tale. 
Cal is part of the Content Division Podcast Network. You can subscribe on iTunes or stream it from the contentdivision.com.au forward slash podcast. Then you won't.